Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for books coming out October 3rd, 2018. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yeah. Very exciting. One, October 3rd is my ninth wedding anniversary. Wow. And this is such a busy week. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I both realize we will not be able to celebrate it within the next 10 days or so, <laughs> but that's fine. We're having a great time. One thing and one of the reasons why we can't celebrate it uh, as we'd like is because it's New York Comic Con week. Woo! Very exciting. Wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping up top and let you guys know of the events that we have for Marvel's pull list and this week in Marvel. So first up on Thursday, we have a stage event for this week in Marvel. It's Marvel Spider-Man and us talking about the game mm-hmm. and the New York City of the game. It's really cool. We've got Bill Roseman. We've got Gavin Golden from Marvel Games and Insomniac Games. Maybe some special guests. Ooh. Maybe some surprises. Ooh. Maybe some fun things that I can't say. But it's going to be great. Awesome. So check that out. That's going to be at the Marvel stage on Thursday at 5 to 5.30. We'll also have that streaming on the live stream for Marvel Live. So you can check that out at marvel.com slash NYCC 2018. Then... On Friday, October 5th, we have a panel for this week in Marvel. It's 1230 to 130 in room 1A10. And me and Jamie, we're going to be joined by Jesse Falcon, who's a longtime friend of mine. He helped create Marvel Legends. He's also a comedian. Mm-hmm. Sarah Benincasa, who is a comedian and writer and she's a Marvel fan. And uh, we're going to have Mike Drucker, who is a comedian and a Marvel fan, stand-up, writer, so many cool things. And we're talking about Marvel and comedy. That panel is going to be insane. I think it's going to be really fun. such a good lineup. Yeah, it's super fun. I'm excited for it. And then on Saturday, Marvel's Pull List, we have a stage event. And Tucker, you've been the driving force behind this. And I think I'm really excited for it. Well, folks, it's just get ready for games and fun. And who knows what. There may or may not be a crazy large bell on hand. <laughs> Ooh. It's that ringing in the distance. I don't, it's, it's the New York Comic Con bell tolling. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be uh, Saturday at 11.15 on the Marvel stage. Yeah. yeah which is going to be so fun. Yeah, and that'll also be streaming on marvel.com slash NYCC 2018. I am very excited for this week. Uh, one last thing I wanted to know before we dive into the new books is uh, that it's really nice to see a full-page memoriam for Marie Severin in many of our books this week. I, I saw it. I noticed it. There's a, a nice bit about her career and her mark that she's laid on the Marvel Universe and the comics industry. So it was really, really swell to see that about Marie. Now, if you are just joining us for Marvel's Pull List, we're going to talk about all the new books out this week. The print issues, the digital issues, the collections, the single issues, stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited and more. Let's dive into it, Tucker. You're up first. All right, here we go. We're starting with... Asgardians of the Galaxy number two. It's an Infinity Wars tie-in, and it's written by Colin Bunn, with art by Matteo Lali, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Corpetti. The uh, battle has started. It is the Asgardians of the Galaxy going up against a kind of character that makes perfect sense. I love the logic that's built in here. I love that, you know, the Guardians have kind of gone their separate ways for different reasons, and Nebula has come in uh, and kind of assembled this, you know, pseudo army of baddies right pretty much at the wrong time for uh, the kind of everything cosmic and everyone living across the Marvel universe because there's so much going on elsewhere. There's the stones being held by Gamora and it's just pretty much madness all across the board right now. So what happens? 
Angela, who is Thor's sister, shows up, assembles a team and says, let's put a stop to all this. I love this book because it's a lot like the Guardians team that we all know and love in that there's a real interesting team dynamic going on here. It kind of has a almost family vibe in that way that there's the bickering, there's the antagonism, there are those kind of clashing personalities. But because all that exists in one group, it just works because there's, you know, if it was just a bunch of people kind of giving each other thumbs up the whole time and saying, yeah, you're right. Yep. I'm right. And we're both right. It wouldn't be that fun. <laughs> uh, but this is so much fun because there are so many different personalities going on in this team. Earth people, Asgardian people, Throg, yeah. of course, which is the combination of the words Thor and Frog. It's uh, Simon Walterson, uh, the, a, a beautiful little frog boy that I love so much. <laughs> the mightiest frog in the world. Also, I want a t-shirt that says, what did you say? The beautiful little frog boy? Beautiful little frog boy. <laughs> oh my gosh. So good. What is also so good is champions number 25, my first pick of the week. Oh Gosh, this was the book I was waiting for. It's written by Jim Zub, art by Sean Isaacs and Max Dunbar, colors by Marcio Menes and Nolan Woodard, letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Oh, man, I love sword and sorcery fantasy. That is one of my favorite things. Games, books, movies, and comics. Uh, we don't generally do a lot of it here mm -hmm. at Marvel, but this was the book that I needed. I read a few non-Marvel fantasy books, including some great books by some of the folks involved in this issue. If you only know Jim Zub from his Marvel work, well, you are missing out on some of his creator-owned stuff, which is just terrific. He really knows how to make a Dungeon Z and Dragon Z comic really fun, especially in the Marvel universe. Luckily, we also have Weird World, which can easily dip into that realm of fantasy. You know, we could do like horror stuff with it. We can do super strange things. We could just do a straight up fantasy book in Weird World. And here, the champions, they are sucked into Weird World looking for lost team members Nova and Wasp. They all get appropriate fantasy redesigns and names and weapons, and it is so much fun. Ironheart is this badass paladin with a cool mace. So good. Miles is a cool, creepy, dark rogue called Shadow Spider. Mm. Mm -hmm. So rad. Uh, Sean Isaacs handles the Marvel Universe stuff, but Max Dunbar, he delivers the goods in Weird World. I was so excited. Max in here, he draws these awesome, like, these rat warrior creatures uh, and these big talking gorilla blacksmiths. One of my favorite panels of the week is Ironheart hitting a warrior rat with her mace. And the sound effect, the way that's placed, the, the sense of motion and the impact and the power and the colors and the position of the figures, it is damn near Perfect. Wonderful issue. I want this as an ongoing, like I want a reg I want the regular Champions book, but then I want the Champions of Weird World as mm -hmm. a separate thing on its own. This was so good. You have, don't even need to have read Champions to enjoy this book. Next up, folks, is Cosmic Ghost Rider number four. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Antonio Fabella and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, dad, dad's here. And son, father and son. Uh, I thought you were calling me dad for a second. I was like, I don't, this is, this is an uncomfortable dad. place for me. Daddy. Um, what's going down here? I, it almost leaves me speechless every single time. In such a short amount of time, Donny Cates has just built kind of his own corner of the universe where uh, his own rules apply. Basically what's going down, we're millions of the years of years in the future. Frank Castle is the cosmic ghost writer. 
he has his own history. He died and then he's not dead. He went back in time and stole baby Thanos to try and make him not bad mad Titan Thanos, make him like a good cool guy wearing sunglasses Thanos. Uh, that apparently did not go well because at the end of issue number three, Punisher Thanos showed up. It seems that for some reason, uh, whatever quote unquote dad, Frank Castle, Cosmic Ghost Rider, taught this baby Thanos left him uh, in the future, in that future, in the baby's future, uh, coming back as the Punisher. It is a really, really interesting book, this this issue, because it kind of gets to the, the, the heart of Frank Castle as a character in a way we haven't seen in a little while, because we are so far flung off into the future, into this wild space adventure. You know, you might ask yourself, where are those ties that bind Frank to his roots, to the story of him losing his family to all of that, and you find it right here. It's uh, pretty devastating at points, but the humanity that Donnie imbues within this character is not lost amidst all the neon, amidst all the fire in just absurd, you know, fun action that we have and that we've gotten to know in this series. This issue has all of that without a doubt, but we also get to see the struggle between uh, the Cosmic Coast Rider and between baby Thanos and between... Adult Punisher Thanos, uh, he uh, kind of introduces this world that he's crafted of his own. And there are some tricky things that the Cosmic Coast Rider has to deal with when he sees what he's unintentionally wrought. Heck yeah. yeah I want to make sure I, I talk about uh, Dylan Burnett because he's so great, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this issue where he's got so much to do in terms of acting and reactions and emotional material. There's this panel of Frank with the flames down, crying tears of joy. But there are also these like more subtle moments too, you know, these quiet pieces of reflection and, and questioning glances, plus all the action. But, you know, they're able to take the story from those like sad to sweet to action to devastation to there's a there's a part in the book where something happens and in my head played like the music at the end, near the end of Return of the King, when uh, uh, Frodo puts on the ring mm-hmm. finally, and and they're in Mount Doom, and he's he's given in to the evil, mm-hmm. and it's like the music swells, and it's over, yeah. and we see the the ultimate evil has finally come to pass. I f- like literally had that music pop <laughs> into my head when I was reading this issue. So good, love this book. Also love Deadpool. We've got Deadpool number five, written by Scotty Young, art by Scott Hepburn, colors by Ian Herring, letters by Jeff Eckleberry. And uh, this definitely has one of my favorites and definitely the most horrifying cover of the week. It's done by Nick Klein and it is a riff on Garbage Pail Kids and it kind of makes me want to throw up every time I look at it. It is so good, so terrific, especially look at the logo. The logo just hurts my insides. It is fantastic. Fantastic. This is a Halloween issue. This is great. Uh, we got zombies and voodoo, old folks speed walking in a mall. The Black Talon, who used to have like a chicken thing on his head. Scotty's really hitting his flow of like gag and fourth wall breaking and ultraviolence, black comedy, punchlines, gore, all that stuff. And then Scott Hepburn, just such a perfect fit for this book. He does gross and gore maybe better than anyone we have right now because of his unique cartooning style and the way he draws Deadpool with broad shoulders, textured costume, emotive mask. It is fab. 
as I like to always say. I always say fab. He does. What is also fab is our video version of Marvel's Pull List this week. Highly suggest you check it out. Yeah. You may see some guest appearances on Ooh, it. Ooh, very, very fun. I, I also want to uh, give a quick shout out, especially to Ian Herring, whose colors are awesome in that book. Heck yeah, we got one more Deadpool book this week, which is Deadpool Secret Agent Deadpool number three, written by Christopher Hastings, with art by Salva Espin and Matt Yaki, lettering by VC's Jimmy Betancourt. Hastings, always super funny, but at one point, Deadpool apologizes for touching someone with his regular skin, which looks and feels mm-hmm. odd, you know? And he says, I'm not wearing hand masks. <laughs> and like the term hand masks just destroyed me. Yeah. I was reading it and I like hand masks as a term for gloves. So good. Also, they, they use the conceit of Jace Burns, the secret agent man, dying and being replaced by Deadpool to discuss how James Bond changes mm. uh i have this great pitch for a james bond story that ties all the different bonds together someday <laughs> someone pay me to tell you this pitch uh, <laughs> i will take a quarter or maybe a glass of water it'll be great but one of the best reaction panels i've seen in a while is after deadpool made a dude swallow a pill the pill is actually a knockoff pim particle device sort of like crossed with a uh capsule from dragon ball mm-hmm. so you like it's a little thing and it, you pop it and it grows into whatever is inside it and it's a snowmobile inside so the pill explodes inside the guy everyone just looks flabbergasted it is so good salva has been master of reaction panels next up we are going in quite a different direction with death of the inhumans number four it's written by donny cates with art by ariel olivetti colors by jordi belair and letters by vcs clayton cowles my first notes in this book, because I couldn't talk about it at the end of last issue, are Beta Ray Bill Hell Yes. Uh, uh, you need the- a t-shirt. That, I know you don't wear anything but white t-shirts, but I want a t-shirt that just a white t-shirt that you've drawn marker on that says Beta Ray Bill Hell Yes. I would no, absolutely wear that. No punctuation. Yeah. Just Beta Ray Bill Hell Yes. That'd be like a very 80s t-shirt. Too. Yeah. Uh, I would totally do that. At the end of issue number three, uh, we travel to a little planet that I like to call Marcus Centauri, and it's in the future. It's kind of arid and barren, and who is there but the former Thor, the horseman, Beta Ray Bill. He is brought into the fight on behalf of the Inhumans. Uh, there's some really, really great stuff where we see some flashback action. Yeah, it would- we get two pages of Beta Ray Bill and Lockjaw on an adventure battling Blastar in the negative zone. And I now know 100% another book that I want Donnie to do. Oh, yeah. I want that. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. Uh, but, of course, that is in the past. We know this. And we get to see stuff with Vox. But, folks, this time it's different. I don't want to say too much. There are spoilers everywhere in this book. But uh, when you read this one, you will see everything changes. A ton of stuff is revealed uh, in a really, really, really interesting way. I loved it a ton. I also want to give a quick shout out to the cover. Damn it. Yep. You, you beat me to it, Tucker. <laughs> I was going to say the same yeah, thing. Please have it. Kari Andrews crushing. This is, a, it was hard for me because this is another one of my favorite covers of the week. Mm-hmm. And it, you've got, uh, it's Medusa on the throne, but she's skeletal and her hair is flowing like blood. It is so gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is disturbing and beautiful somehow all at the same time. Great, great issue. Heck yeah. All right. Next issue is Doctor Strange number six. And last issue, we found out that there was a second Doctor Strange at the Sanctum Sanctorum talking to bats. 
while Strange was in space getting his groove back. Well, we'll get to that in a second. This is written by Mark Wade, art by Javier Pina, colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Corey Petit. So we've got these two Doctor Strange. Was the real one on Earth and the fake one in space, or is it vice versa? Mm. I don't know. Well, we find out. Well, I, I do know. I don't know why I said it. I don't know. <laughs> we find out in this issue. I really enjoy that Strange's crew now includes Bats and Kana. Mm-hmm. And then in this issue, the two of them team up. They're going on missions. It's a fun time. Back in 2009, Mark Wade wrote a Doctor Strange story called simply Strange. That was the title of the book. Uh, it is Gorgeous art by Emma Rios and Christina Strain. It is on Marvel Unlimited, and the collection is called Strange, The Doctor is Out. If you want to get some context and read a great story, check that out, then dive into this. It starts to put a bigger picture together, and it is really terrific. Mm, Really, really awesome. Uh, uh, Here's another book that I was very curious to get your thoughts on, Ryan, and I actually intentionally did not do research on it so that I could ask you questions. It is Sleepwalker. Infinity Wars Sleepwalker, number one. It's written by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims with art by Todd Nock, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Okay, so I was reading uh, this issue, Sleepwalker. Really cool story, and I immediately wondered, like, what the origin of Sleepwalker is, like, when he first appeared. My guess is 80s. I believe it's like 1992. <laughs> okay. I think it's okay. somewhere in there. He's he's very, to me, when I see Sleepwalker, I think of the 90s. I right. think of early 90s Marvel. You know, it, it's cool and weird. And uh, it's one of those books that I think was a little out of time because I like that you say 80s because I think you there is a little bit of a darker tone to what right. Sleepwalker is and could be that would have landed a little bit better in the 80s than it did in the early 90s. The early 90s was more like extreme and and right. spikes and shoulder pads yeah, yeah. and then guns that blow up other guns and then the, those guns have baby guns yeah. that blow up other guns. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, for me this this kind of had a vibe of like, you know, the the danger within this kind of 80s like mm-hmm. um awesome cool like kids horror movie yeah. almost in a way or like teen horror movie something like that. But anyway, uh, I, I really enjoyed reading this issue, and I really, really liked how you know it very cleverly ties into Infinity Wars. We get that story here, and there are also some great Infinity Warps. Oh man, that we see in here. Oof. Okay, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of that I remember hearing about in a meeting like months ago, and Jordan D. White, one of the editors downstairs, made mention of it to like a group of five or six people to just uproarious laughter, and that is Little Monster, which is the warp between Ant-Man and the Incredible Hulk, and here it is, folks. The more angry he gets, the smaller he gets. So good. <laughs> it is so funny. Uh, there's a lot of that in here. There's a lot of great Sleepwalker stuff in here. Uh, like Ryan, if you know a little bit about the character, or like me, if this is your intro to him, it was uh, a really nice read, and, and there's going to be a second issue of this. Heck yeah. Outside of Little Monster, there are two particular warps in this issue that I love so much. I will not give them away. I want you to read this book. I will just say one of them features Modam, mm. the female version of Modoc. Uh-huh. So I'm just putting that out there. Y'all need to read it. <laughs> Check it out. It's real good. Next book is Iron Fist, which is a Marvel digital original, number one out this week, written by Clay McLeod Chapman, art by Guillermo Sana and Lee Lowridge, letters by Travis Lanham. 
Oh, this story is so gross. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so gross. It's Iron Fist battling a nasty Chinese demon that twists people's bodies into tentacly insecty, toothy, awful things. And the art is gross in all the right ways. The monsters are revolting and it all feels super dirty. And there's even some Army of Darkness severed hand hijinks in here. Really cool story. Another one of our Marvel Digital Originals. Next book is Shatterstar number one. Oh, man. I, I'm a big Shatterstar, Mark. Mm-hmm. I love him. I'm a 90s kid in a lot of ways. So, you know, he didn't have a sword. He had a sword that had two blades on it and spikes on the knuckles. Uh-huh. And I was like, you could punch, you could slice two things at once. It was the greatest. Uh, Shatterstar, this issue is written by Tim Seeley, pencils by Carlos Villa, inks by Juan Velasco, flashback art in here by Gerardo Sandoval, colors by Carlos Lopez. Okay, so we see Shatterstar's current day landlord of a house in College Point, Queens. I find that really cool and interesting because the house that Carlos Villa draws in College Point looks just like the house I grew up in in College Point wow. until I was about five years old. It freaked me out. I swear <laughs> to you. I looked at it. I was like, whoa, except the color was different in the book. Also, ours was kind of falling down, uh, but it was great to see that and just seeing College Point in a book yeah. was unexpected for me. But man, I saw it and I was like, whoa, I really dig the life that Tim Seeley and the team have created here. You have this home for people who've come from other dimensions and other times and realities. That's such a neat concept, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I was sad to see that Shatterstar and Richter were broken up, but I'm glad it was addressed because mm-hmm. in the, like, the solicitation copy and, and the interviews and stuff, I wasn't really sure how they were touching it. Hopefully, we get that romance back together. I think it's neat, uh, but the reasoning and, and like the rationale behind that is part of what drives Shatterstar in this book. So super cool. Uh, we get to see Shatterstar suit up for Mayhem and then Mojo Wild. Mm-hmm. What more do you want? Tim Seeley did a great interview for Marvel.com that uh, you can go check out. I'll put it in the show notes uh, when we post this episode. But it was really, really interesting to see his kind of theory and his approach to this book and then to read it because that dude is great. That dude is is a great guy, great writer. Uh, Really enjoyed this issue. Next up, though, is Star Wars number 55. It is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is Hope Dies Part 6. And folks, things have been bad for the Rebellion, and they are continuing to be bad for the Rebellion. (laughs) Uh, The end. (laughs) Yep. I mean, that summarizes what's going down here uh, pretty succinctly. For me, Kieran is totally hitting his stride in this series uh, with this arc. It has been so much fun. The entire thing almost has taken place in outer space, a ton of space battles. And this is a huge, huge issue. There are major deaths. There are new beginnings, explanations for a couple of really fun little uh, Star Warsy things, little things that changed in the two years between uh, A New Hope, the film, and Empire Strikes Back, the film. And we're seeing them happen here. We're seeing why they happen. Really, really, really interesting. Uh, Commander Skywalker, come in, Commander Skywalker. I won't say any more. Uh, but this caps off a huge, huge arc that I loved and, uh, you know, shoots us into the next story with, you know, another character that I love. And uh, it's great to see the squad in here struggling, but, uh, you know, never losing hope all the way. Heck yeah. Tucker, ring that bell for me. Here we go. Ring it better. Ring it better-ish. 
this ticket because this is my second pick of the week. It is Superior Octopus number one. This is an Edge of Spider-Geddon tie-in, and it is written by Christos Gage, art by Mike Hawthorne, and Wade Von Graubadger, Jordi Belair. So good. Love that art team. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I absolutely love this version of Doc Ock. Smart, cocky, dumb. Mm-hmm. I say he's smart. Also kind of dumb, yeah. capable, sciencing, rejecting Hydra, having a life, getting into fights. This is so fun. There's a scene in the beginning of Ock stopping some bad guys and then recruiting them to work for him as good guys. I love that concept. And he like comes to him. He's like, hey, dum-dums, don't do this. I'm a, I'm a, I will hurt you really badly. Work for me. I'll get you paid more money than you were making before. Let's do this. And they're like, are we good guys now? And they're like. I guess so. It's like stepbrothers. Like, are yeah, we best yeah. friends now? Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so good. I won't spoil any more of it than that, but because I love that team that he connects with, I hope we see more of them. Ock better get through Spider-Geddon because I, I need more of this world. Mm-hmm. And I also think Christos and Mike leave a nice little Easter egg for Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation 4 fans in Doc Ock's office. Uh, it's, it's something, mm-hmm. if you've played the game, if you know Ock's office in the game, and you look at his office here, there was something I was like, that can't be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. That that has to be there for a reason. I thought it was really, really neat. It's rad. It is beautiful. Uh, I love seeing Mike Hawthorne crushing it. He does a lot of designs for us, too. Mm-hmm. And so you see him. He's such an amazing draftsman and, and just the work that he does here. There's also a backup story in here, uh, sort of like a one last check-in. It's actually called Check-In before Spider-Geddon. And it's written by Jed McKay, art by Mark Bagley, inks by Craig Young, colors by Dono Sanchez Amara and Proto Bunker. And it's, it's cool. It's like, this is the end. The Web Warriors have done everything that they needed to do after Spider-Verse, and they're shutting down Earth-001, formerly Loom World. Everything's right in their world, but it's not because of what happens in the first story in this issue. And this really drives us right into Spider-Geddon, which comes so soon. Y'all know we were talking about Superior Octopus, and I said he's smart, but he's kind of dumb, but he's definitely smart. You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Thanks to our advertiser this week, ZipRecruiter, we know what is smart. ZipRecruiter.com slash list. That's right. Unlike any other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for the candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash list. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-I-S-T. ZipRecruiter.com slash list. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Next up. Though right now, we have Tony Stark Iron Man number four. It's written by Spidey Fave, Dan Slott, with art by Valerio Schiti, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Okay, look, I'm in my 20s, and I've never experienced uh, I've never Love? used... Uh, uh, au contra- contraire, mon frere. Uh, I was about to say, a lot of my buddies... Use these kind of date naps types things. You know these date naps you're hearing about? I met my wife on on one of them. Okay, there you but go. Way, well before there was no phone app. Right, exactly. Uh, so 
We get a, a taste of that, but it all goes wrong. Nobody here is making it to the ninth, their ninth anniversary. Um, and delightfully, this issue is called Love Bites with B-Y-T-E-S. And it kind of works perfectly because not only do we have this kind of fun, wacky dating app type thing gone wrong, ends up with uh, an attack on Stark Unlimited, but some really great stuff happening between Tony Stark and Janet Van Dyne, which I'm really into. You know, it's great to see romance in a Marvel comic. I love it so much. I love to see Tony turn it on the charm. I love to see Janet just giving it straight back to him better than he ever could do it. There is some really, really fun stuff happening in here. And, you know, I'm excited to see what that means for, you know, the Playboy. Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, next book is Typhoid Fever, Spider-Man. This is the first part of our three-part Typhoid Fever storyline. Written by Clay McLeod Chapman. Art by Stefano Landini. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And so th- this does a really cool job of providing info on who Typhoid Mary is without digging too much. I'd, I'd also say check out the Anacenti and John Romita Jr. run of Daredevil in the 80s. Because one, it is awesome it should be one of those books that is heralded for anyone who likes Daredevil. But she also first appears in there. Rochelle Rosenberg, such a good job using colors to change the hue of some pages. So we see their visions from Mary's powers or, or flashbacks. Uh, and it's a scary thing. Not only is she unstable, but she has multiple mental powers. And, and what that means for Spider-Man and the other heroes she's going to face is, is pretty cool. Next up is Weapon H, number eight. And it's written by Greg Pak with art by Guio Villanova, colors by Maury Hollowell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is a great book because it's like the man-monster-monster-man kind of team up. It's slowly added up to this and kind of in like the perfect unexpected way. There are a few characters that have joined the fray, including in this issue, we see him right in the cover, Mr. Korg. Fan favorite, and he teams up with... Weapon H, and with Man-Thing, and they are off to Weird World. Uh, another little visit to Weird, weird World. That's a tough one to say. Weird I'm world. with you, 100%. Uh, There's also the Brood Dude in here who, yeah. uh, who like doesn't have a code name, but I just want to call him Brood Dude. Yeah, I completely agree. So we get that action going on. We get to see how those characters interact a little bit, but we also get a little more insight into Clay, the Weapon H himself, the man, which I always love. I love getting those little tastes of who he is, of his family backstory, things like that. Uh, And we get it a ton here. But next up is... Yeah, it's one of your picks of the week, Tucker. Yeah, it is. Weapon X number 24, written by Greg Pak and Fred Van Lenti, art by Luca Pizzotti, colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Okay, so... I was reading this issue and, you know, Weapon X, there's a definite, very specific ethos that runs through this team and all of its members. And it remind this issue specifically reminded me of, okay, in, back in high school, back in the golden days for me. Two years ago? <laughs> Monster. Uh, I played JV basketball, okay? Was not good. I was on the second string 
of JV basketball, a team of like real scrappy ragamuffins who would come in like only at the end of the game if we were like either losing by a lot or winning by a lot. So not like the 1992 dream team. Sports reference got it. Now oh, nice. Uh, basically, we were the complete opposite of the dream team because we were like the nightmare team. Actually, now that I think about it, we would come in and just kind of uh, be jerks. Because we knew we were bad and we knew we weren't really playing. Ba- why, why I'm saying this is because we were officially known as the Chaos Squad. Whoa. And our coach would say, Chaos Squad, get warmed up. And we would get warmed up and get ready to like go and like, you know, foul people really hard or whatever. Anyway. That's the worst. <laughs> why would you hurt people? Uh, you know, we just were bored pretty much sitting on the bench <laughs> all game. This is the Chaos Squad of Marvel, and I love it so much. In this issue, specifically because they're essentially thrown into a gladiator pit, and they have to fight their way out. Deadpool's involved as well, which makes it all even more fun. So joyful to read. Uh, It's just all action, punch you in the face and laugh about it uh, stuff, mile a minute. This is, for me, is like the epitome of Weapon X as a series, this book. I had so much fun reading it. Yeah, it's a perfect balance of everything for me. Yeah. Uh, One of my favorite things this week period is Sauron in this book, Mm -hmm. who is wearing a tank top. And he's got like this control thing on his head, but it makes it look like he's wearing a sweatband. And like he is workout Sauron. (laughs) And Sauron, he's like an energy vampire man in a like pteranodon or like flying dinosaur body. And he's great. I love him. (laughs) He's so weird. Uh, But the idea of him doing workouts makes me so happy. Next up, oh, I'm ringing the bell again. It's my second pick of the week. Uh, This is What If Spider-Man number one. To be more specific, it's What If Flash Thompson became Spider-Man. And it's written by Jerry Conway with art by Diego Olotegui. Ink assists by Walden Wong. Colors by Chris O'Halloran. And letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This, for me, you know, there are a couple of different strains that a what-if book can kind of follow. It can just be absolute madness, chaos, set off a bomb in the middle of everything we know and see what happens in the aftermath. Or it could be something a little more like this, which is just like a certain character shift. Uh, In this case, Flash Thompson obviously becomes the wall crawler. And we see how that impacts not just Flash, but the mantle itself. It's really, really interesting because... You know, he has the kind of quick-witted nature about him, but he is kind of, you know, he carries a little bit of that kind of bully nature with him where he's a lot more unapologetic. He doesn't, you know, uh, do things for good. He does it a little bit more kind of because the bad guys deserve to get theirs uh, in, in whatever punishing way that is. But it's not simply that. It's not just a bully story kind of give him uh, webs uh, and wall crawling abilities. Against all odds, we really start to feel for Flash in this uh, issue. We get a little bit of a taste of why he is the way he is. And uh, we get also this reality's Peter Parker and how they interact and how they clash uh, if the roles were reversed. It is super, super interesting and, uh, yeah, really fun read, but then total unexpected depth. Yeah, totally. I, this one was cool because in the the my favorite what-ifs, you ha- it was basically... Uatu, who mm-hmm. was our watcher, sort of 
positing like, what if so-and-so happened? Mm -hmm. And then he would tell you, it was basically him narrating a story. Here, we have the Unseen, who is the current version of our Watcher. It's, you know, formerly Nick Fury. He's telling that story. I just like that twist. It was really cool. Plus, Jerry Conway, man, he started writing published comic book stories before he was 18, uh, before 1970. And he's still... Doing awesome stuff. So good. Big recommendation for me as well. Uh, next up is What If X-Men number one. And, you know, while the other What If felt very classic and, and, you know, like setting up a premise and then going off from there. This one also feels like it fits into a period of What If books that I also dug. Now, around the late 80s, early 90s, like numerical issues of the 1990s What If run, there were a bunch of really dark what if stories that didn't throw out a question uh, so much as tell the tales of different worlds. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this really gnarly Spider-Man story in there and a bunch more. Uh, and this one is a cool trippy book where there's no concept of mutants, but there are people with an X gene EXE who have special powers in cyberspace. And this was written by Brian Edward Hill, art by Neil Edwards and Giannis Milo No Giannis. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, lettering by Clayton Cowles. Uh, there's some cool, neat twists in here with Magneto and, and Nimrod and aspects of X-Men lore. I dig the two pages of handbook entries in the back, that which flesh out parts of this universe and the characters of Jubilee and Rogue. Last book this week is X-Men Black Magneto number one. It is written by the legend Chris Claremont with pencils by Dalibor Talajic. Inks by Roberto Poggi and Bellardino Bravo. Colors by Dono Sanchez Almora and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I love Magneto so much. I love Eric Lencher so much. I love the the little blurb in this credits page. Uh, I want to read it for a reason. It finishes with, to some he's an extremist, to others he's an icon, but to all he is the master of magnetism. If you want to know about Magneto, if you're curious about him, if you want to know who he really is, if you want to understand the dichotomy of his being, read this issue because, of course, no one understands him like Chris Claremont does. Uh, and this issue really digs into it in a way that the narrative uh, works as a perfect parallel to the man himself in that we see one side of things. We see him interact on a very human level in a way that has him, you know, in a very personal way talking to another mutant and understanding her despite any kind of differences that might exist between age and powers or anything like that and them just communing and you know being the subject of some bigotry but you know he says he teaches a lesson to the young person and it's a lesson for good undeniable good then we see the other side we Go back 24 hours to Asteroid M and we're seeing just the absolute chaos that he can bring, that he brings every single time that he goes up against the X-Men for whatever reason. And it kind of bounces between those two sides before kind of mixing the two. For me, I loved this issue because in a single uh, story, uh, in a single issue of comics, it really captures the soul of this character, this character that's so complex, that has so much history to him. Uh, and it just all, you know, in 20 pages or so, tells that story. There is also a great backup story that is the start of its own X-Men Black little arc. It's going to appear in the back of every single issue. 
This is Apocalypse Degeneration Part 1. It's written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler with art by Geraldo Borges, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. I loved seeing what happens with Apocalypse here. It's kind of just a, a really unique little take on Ensala Noor and what's, you know, some interesting things are happening to him. I'm really excited to continue with X-Men Black, literally, if only just to continue the Apocalypse story that's going on in the back. But I will say really quickly, keep an eye out on Marvel.com next week because I was very lucky to speak to Scott Ackerman, who is the writer of X-Men Black Mojo number one. That's in stores uh, next week on the 10th. And we break things down. We break down why he loves comics, why he loves the X-Men, why he really was into writing a Mojo story. So keep an eye out for that as X-Men Black continues. Nice. Uh, I do want to point out that one, we see in here, according to Chris Claremont, that Magneto is a Tolkien fan. Mm -hmm. Like that. And then uh, I just, what you were saying about the apocalypse story, he's in a dilly of a pickle, (laughs) if I do say so myself. We got two True Believers issues of this week, and they are both what-ifs. The first is, what if the Avengers had fought evil during the 1950s? And the other is, what if Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor? These are from the original classic what if run these are both great super cool we see uh sort of a proto agents of atlas in one mm. of them it's neato awesome collections on sale this week include amazing spider-man by david Michelin and todd mcfarlane omnibus in hardcover avengers by jason aaron volume one the final host avengers doctor strange rise of the dark hold doctor strange by donny cates volume two city of sin Hellstorm by Warren Ellis Omnibus in hardcover, Spider-Gwen Volume 3 in hardcover, The Marvel Cinematic Universe Marvel Comics Omnibus in hardcover, Thor Heroes Return Omnibus Volume 2 in hardcover, Tomb of Dracula Omnibus Volume 1 hardcover, Tomb of Dracula The Complete Collection Volume 2, and X-Men Phoenix in Darkness by Grant Morrison. I love that we've got a bunch of spooky books this week. It's real neat. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? On the Marvel app this week, hold on to your butts, because it's the Thor Core. The <laughs> Thor Core with the greatest Thor of all time, Dargo Kator, the mulleted, spiked Thor of, I think, the 35th century? You know, I'm having a flashback to doing an episode of This Week in Marvel with you and Ben Morse, where you guys were going nuts over Darvo Kator? Dargo Kator, Dar- you heathen. <laughs> Dargo I will (laughs) not do anything because we live in a civilized society, but I am upset with you right now, Tucker. It is, look, the 90s were a different time. That's all I'm going to say, but I love it. We have a Thorcore poster downstairs at Marvel HQ. It makes me happy every time I walk past it. We have a bunch of digital collections out this week. One I want to point out is X-Men Apocalypse Dracula. I believe that is uh, a Frank Thierry joint. And if it's not, you can punch me in the face, Frank. <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh, it is really cool. A lot of books on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, we're getting to see some of the Damnation books really hit into there. We're getting some Darkhold on Marvel Unlimited, which I think is really neat. Machine Man from 1984. Highly suggest you check that out. It's got some Barry Windsor Smith art, and it is the best thing ever. Uh, we got some X-Force and tons, tons more. Check out the full list on marvel.com and the news story Mm -hmm. and yeah you guys check it all out we'll be back sometime next week because we're going to be recovering from comic-con so i'm just giving y'all a heads up we may not make an episode into (laughs) your feed by tuesday 
We'll do our best. <laughs> We're just going to survive the next week. We're That's gonna, all we can do. Yeah. That's all we can hope for. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.